0: time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. You know, there's a lot happening today. In fact, I, I almost think there's too much news and stuff that has really interested me that uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to get to it all. Got Got a good listener email. Let's see, we got the uh, How to Share Your Faith using Leona Lutis' song Bleeding Love from the Christian Post. We've got uh, Tony Jones of the Emergent Church basically wondering if uh, believing in the Trinity is optional. (laughs) And then we've got a church in Oregon where the female pastor has uh, decided that she's going to refuse to sign any more marriage certificates for heterosexual couples until gay people have the same marriage rights. This is a supposedly a Christian church and a Christian, well, there's no such thing as a Christian pastor. The Bible forbids such a thing. I always find it interesting that uh, female pastors, uh, You know, it, I don't know what it is, but as soon as you open the door to uh, female pastors, it's not long those female pastors are trying to open the doors to homosexuals. You know, it's... Um, same view of Scripture, very low view of Scripture. All right, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the show that uh, can do one of two things. Uh, it could really help equip you, which, it were, which is what we hope to do on a daily basis. We want to dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment that will help you grow in your understanding of the Bible. The rules of engagement are pretty much are pretty simple. The Bible is the Word of God. It, it is inerrant, it's historical, it's, uh, it's sufficient, we believe in Sola Scriptura, and so if uh, Roseboro says something wrong, uh, then send me the Bible passage and uh, I'll repent. And uh, truth be told, uh, I've done that a few times in my life, and... Uh, And as you can tell by the tone of my voice, I just love repenting. No (laughs) But uh, what do we do here? We we take what people are saying in uh, Christian pulpits, Christian media, Christian books, and uh, we compare it to the Word of God and ask the question, is this what the Bible really says? Is this what Christianity really teaches, or is that something else? So, and the warning that I like to give people is, be careful, listening to this program can... And does. Believe me, I, I've received the emails from people both on at our talk back at TalkBackAtFightingForTheFaith.com website as well as on Facebook. Somebody said I should Twitter. I, 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 is Twittering something you do with your thumbs? I, I don't know. <laughs> I think Twitter is like uh, mini one-line blogs like, you know, I'm eating ketchup with french fries right now. I feel sick to my stomach. Wow. I, I could really use a hunk of cheese. You know, Things like I, – I don't know. I, and then do you have to
1: abbreviate it somehow I, I, in some I, I, foreign language? I've
0: seen a couple of Twitter things, and somebody said that my my site could go viral. Apparently, it could be a plague upon humanity. I guess that's what that means if I were to Twitter. Oh. <laughs> we're just too old for this stuff. Mm. He sounds so enthused about it. Anyway, um, so what what do we do here? This this show can actually cause you to be dissatisfied with your current church, especially if you're not hearing the gospel or your pastor has bit the bullet and become seeker-sensitive or purpose-driven. Because along with those methodologies is a complete watering down and changing of the message. Even though they say they're faithful to the Christian message, they are not. You know, that's a bunch of malarkey. You know, they decide to go positive and, and conduct sociological surveys. We're going to go door-to-door, and we're going to ask people who are unchurched what it is that they want a church to be, and then we're going to give them what they want. Does that make any sense to you? Well, no. No. no it, it, it makes sense if you were marketing a product— you know, if you if you had invented the next greatest widget, right? You want to do some market studies to find out if this widget is really there's a demand for the widget, and if the widget has the features that people want the widget to have, so that when you bring the widget to market, people will buy the widget. Christianity isn't a widget, so um, that's kind of the backwards way of doing things, and well, it doesn't
1: work. It's kind of like when I would create artwork for a children's product. The first thing I do is go to the grocery store and see how they're making cereal boxes Yeah, because they're attractive to kids. And then I copy their colors. Well, that's what's happening in the evangelical church.
0: Yeah, they're going to the business world and to marketing the way things are being marketed. And what's funny is is that the kissing cousin of Christianity in the the marketplace of ideas is Anthony Robbins in self-help books. You know, which is exactly why you get a lot of these self esteem, make your life better, uh, have your best life now kind of messages coming from people like Rick Warren and Joel Osteen and and people like that because what's happening? They're letting the culture dictate what the message is in Christianity, right? Yep. Um, Last time I checked, we were supposed to be um, countercultural. There's a thought. Okay, got an email from uh, Michael Ritzman, and this is a great email, okay? <clears throat> he's commenting yesterday, on yesterday's thing that I kind of pointed out that uh, Barack Obama says that he believes that Jesus Christ died for his sins. Now, b- I know that that was a controversial statement when I said that you know we shouldn't really it it really doesn't get get us anywhere to question whether or not he's a Christian and say that he's you know guilty of uh, of bashing Christians when he claims that he is a Christian. So we got to be careful there, but. Um, Michael Ritzman, who had his uh, discernment uh, hat cap on, he says, uh, "Hi, Chris. I heard you talk about Barack's public profession claiming that Jesus died for my sins, and whether or not that necessarily makes him a Christian. Although I cannot give you specific examples, I've heard Glenn Beck, who is a Mormon, make similar claims on his radio show. Is Glenn Beck therefore a Christian?" Glenn has been known to bristle when his callers tell him that Mormons are not Christians. So when a Mormon claims Christ as their Savior, why do we not call them Christians? Is it not because, the, is it not because their understanding of Jesus is unbiblical? Now, I'm going to stop right there. This is pretty much the gist of the, of the question. Okay, so here's the deal. Okay. Mormons are a cult. Okay, Mormonism is a cult, and Mormon is, Mormons are cultists. They are not Christians, and the reason why, and we're going to spend some time on this on this concept today, is that they have a false Christ. They've created a false idol of Jesus, okay? The Jesus they believe in is a false theological construct, and as a result of it, it's not really the true biblical Jesus that they believe, teach, and confess in, okay? And there's many other doctrines that they have wrong. Specifically, it's a, it's a religion based on works, Okay, so somebody who claims that they are a Christian yet confesses the Mormon Jesus confesses an idol, a false idol. Okay, therefore, we have to say that they are excluded from truly being a Christian, even if they say words that have similar, that sound like what we use. For instance, a Mormon would say, Well, I believe Jesus died for my sins. And uh, when you, you you at that point you have to spend some time <clears throat> unpacking the words and figuring out what definitions they're attaching to these different words. Because believe me when I tell you, when a Mormon says the word Jesus, th- the the definition that they've poured into that word is far different than the biblical definition of Jesus. You know, so um, this comes down to semantics. So automatically, somebody who is a Mormon is excluded as a Christian. Now, Barack Obama. <clears throat> you know, whether you like it or not, and I know it's controversial, okay? He attended a church that that is supposedly, you know, on its face, within the realm of Christian orthodoxy, okay? Now, Jeremiah Wright, <clears throat> if you know him as a pastor and you've, you've learned anything of his teaching from that whole flap during the election, you come to find out that Jeremiah Wright is pretty much into black liberation theology. So, <clears throat> Jeremiah Wright may actually be a heretic, but the thing is is that the church that they attend has an orthodox statement of faith, and um you know and so on some level you have to say, okay, they have an orthodox statement of faith that doesn't necessarily mean that they're teaching the truth, okay but um, it's possible, okay, because they are technically. An Orthodox Christian denomination that the church hasn't fallen to apostasy, that Barack Obama heard the gospel, and that when he says, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, he actually believes and confesses, you know, confesses and believes in his heart that that's the case. Okay. So with, with Barack Obama, you have to actually s- spend a little bit more time, um, defining terms so on the face of it right now i would say i don't think there's enough evidence to prove that barack obama is not a christian i think there's enough evidence to say that there's some disturbing ideas about what he believes that would make you say "Hmm, maybe he isn't okay for instance let me give you one person who um i seriously doubt is a christian and that's uh president uh, george bush right now why because President Bush believes that uh, <clears throat> that apparently you can be saved regardless of the religion that you follow. okay uh, That is a sign of a complete lack of biblical understanding, lack of discernment and understanding that it, that salvation is found in only Jesus Christ. okay that, In fact, that teaching is rank heresy and provides comfort for people who are uh, enslaved in false religions. And and gives them the message that if you keep just following the religion that you're following, that you'll be saved. Okay, that's serious. Okay, super serious. That's just not something that you uh, go, oh well, you know, he's just confused or whatever. No, that, I mean, I at this point, I I put George Bush into the category of either an apostate or a heretic. I haven't figured out which, and I, I, and I would be very careful uh, before I would embrace him as a Christian brother. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well... You're going to get a lot of emails. I know, I know. But see, the thing is, is that he believes that you can be saved following just about any religion on the planet.
1: I've heard him say that, too. Yeah. <clears throat> There's so, no ways to God than just through Christ. Yeah, you know
0: what? Maybe I should probably prove that, huh? Time to uh, log on to the internet and uh, go to my YouTube account. <clears throat> yes, I have a YouTube account. It's a little... It, my screen name is a little Levin. Why? Because, well, the stuff that I post for my account have to do with the Museum of Idolatry, you know, because, you know, everyone knows that I just love being snarky and judgmental. Okay, so here we go. George Bush's Universalism is the name of the video, and it's on YouTube. And here, listen to this. Do we all worship the same God? Here it is. Do we all worship the same God, Christian and Muslim? I think we do. does. We have different routes of getting to the Almighty. Does Bin Laden, does uh, Abu Musab al-Zarqawi pray to the same God that you and I do? Uh, I think they pray to a false God. They- okay, if you, now if you're a terrorist, because <laughs> he's the chief of the war on terror, then uh, then they pray to a false God. But he just he was just asked, do we all worship the same God? Well, let me back this up so that you can hear it again. President George W. Bush, and I think he's on like ABC's Nightline or something like that. Oh, man, I wish—you know, I wish that uh, YouTube had, like, finer controls over the little thing. Here we go again.
2: Do we all worship the same God,
0: Christian and Muslim? I think we do. Does— We have different routes of getting to the Almighty. Does Bin Laden— Okay, so, in—George uh, Bush attends a very liberal Episcopal church in his diocese. They have a homosexual bishop, I think, Some you know, somebody high up— in the ranks, who's uh, who's a practicing, unrepentant homosexual. And he was asked, do we all worship the same God? And he says, yeah, I think we do. And, you know, that we all have different paths to the Almighty. And what does that tell me? That George Bush does not understand what Christianity teaches. He doesn't understand the gospel. He doesn't know understand who Jesus is, who he claimed to be. And, and the fact that Jesus claimed to be God in human flesh, he said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except for through me. Okay? So I would put George Bush outside of the camp of christians why because the confession of the the doctrines that he's confessing are completely incompatible antithetical to the christian gospel that's that's given to us in the scriptures now maybe barack obama has said something similar if that's the case i haven't heard it yet send me the the videos and we'll we'll analyze the data okay okay but, you know, at this point, I really haven't spent a lot of time researching Barack Obama's, you know, Christian doctrines and what he believes. I do. I have seen a video where he kind of mocks the uh, the Bible, but he does it in the sense, you know, the context of it was, um, you know, if you want me to let use the Bible to make laws for the United States, which one should I sh- what should I use? You know, the ones to stone people and things like that. It was really snarky on his part. But uh, so, but at this point, at, the only evidence I have at the moment regarding Barack Obama is that I know that he attended a church that supposedly is Orthodox. Even though Jeremiah Wright is, um, you know, claims to be a Black liberation theology guy, which means he may be more into Hegelian Marxism uh, than he is into preaching the gospel. But Barack Obama did give an Orthodox confession of faith that Christ died for his sins under the auspices of a church that supposedly is. Orthodox Christian, okay? <clears throat> so, um, Mormons, no. doesn't matter if they confess Christ. The Christ they believe in is an idol, okay? Somebody who attends an Orthodox Christian church and they have a, a, an Orthodox confession of faith and an Orthodox understanding of what the gospel is, you have to dig a little farther if you want to prove that they're not a Christian. You, know, you need to find something that clearly falls outside of the, the non-negotiable doctrines of, of Scripture, Especially as it pertains to you know Christ and the, you know who God is and things like that. So, you know, great question, Michael, and we'll move forward. So, I you think I'm getting a lot of emails because I put George Bush outside of Christianity? Yes. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not a liberal. I mean, there's a liberal bone in my body. I. Ugh. So, you know, I, I've told you before that you know when Joshua, who's now. He has officially arrived at the uh, Great Lakes Naval Training Base uh, for boot camp. So we we got the phone call before they absconded his uh, cell phone and other personal belongings and put them in a bag and sent them back. And uh, apparently it's cold up there. (laughs) (laughs) But... uh, uh, you know, when Josh was just a little lad, you know, uh, he I would he would hear me going on and and complaining about liberals, and uh, you know, he wasn't afraid of monsters under his bed. He comes into our room one night and says, "Daddy, I think there's liberals under my bed." He was really scared.
1: So, if I'm ever really mad at you and I want to curse you out, it's better just to call you a liberal. Mm. <laughs>
0: Don't do that, <laughs> man. Liberal's a four-letter word. L I. Never mind. <laughs> All right, okay, we're going to come back to this idol. Uh, No, you know what, we we should probably just stick with it. I want to do the Leona Lewis thing, but um, I know it makes for better radio, but we're going to stay on this idol thing. We're going to, let me go to uh, Tony Jones' blog. Tony Jones of the Emergent Church, he actually blogs at BeliefNet, okay? And uh, BeliefNet is the smorgasbord spiritual website of the internet, and they've got resources for just about every flavor of religion and spirituality that you can possibly think of. In fact, if you're not sure what religion best suits you, they have something that you can, you know, like a wizard that you can fill out and answer questions. And um, and it will recommend a religion for you. Okay. And the funny thing is, is that when I filled that out, it said that I would really make a good hedonistic pagan kid you not. You really ought to consider hedonism. <sighs> Why? Because I, I answer the questions according to my sinful nature, right? It's all, you know. So anyway, Tony Jones uh, of the emergent church, you know, the Pomo people. Pomo. Pomo is a short for postmodern. Right. Okay. And uh, believe me when I tell you, I consider Tony Jones to be a neoliberal. Although he tries to distance himself from the modernist liberals. He's just a new, he's a new kind of liberal. He's, his his book out there, A New Kind of Christian, um, that Christian doesn't exist in Scripture. So um, he's just a new kind of liberal. So he's got a, on his blog at BeliefNet, he asked the question, is the Trinity optional? Is the Trinity optional? Okay. And we'll get a little bit of a look inside of the mind of a Pomo here. Here we go. Over the holidays, my mother was attempting to explain Mormonism to a 14-year-old boy who lives with her and my dad. He's got a Mormon friend, and he was wondering about that faith, especially because he's in confirmation class this year and learning more about Christianity. Okay, so we got a 14-year-old boy in confirmation learning about Christianity, and now he has questions that have come up about his Mormon friend. Hopefully, he's hearing from his pastor who's confirming him that his Mormon friend is not a Christian and needs to hear about the real Jesus Christ. Anyway, it says, my mom looked at me and asked, are Mormons Christian? It's interesting that she didn't ask if, in my opinion, Mormons are Christian, but more as a matter of fact. This, of course, opens the uh, millennia-old can of worms. Who gets to say who is and who is not a Christian? Uh, more on that in another post. Apparently, you know, it's, uh, you know, who are you to say that somebody's not a Christian? Well, they believe in idol. They don't believe in the real Christ. Paul says that if someone preaches to you a gospel other than the one that he already preached, let him be anathema, eternally condemned. So the answer to the question is uh, Christ in his word determines who's a Christian, who's not a Christian. So anyway, my immediate response was, well, do they consider themselves part of Christianity? Uh, or they do consider themselves part of Christianity, but they're not. They don't believe in the Trinity. In fact, that wasn't quite right. The Church of Latter-day Saints does believe in a Trinity per se, but not the Orthodox Christian Trinity as articulated at the Council of Nicaea. I would even say uh, articulated in the Athanasian Creed, Um, but that's a... Whole nother story. Mormons understand that the God had, the God had to be three distinct divine beings who eternally relate to one another at Nicaea and after the Orthodox belief has been has been that uh, God is three persons, hypostasis, but not but one substance, uh, homo, homoousios. I myself tend toward the social Trinitarianism uh, articulated by theologians such as Jürgen Moltmann. Moltmann, by the way, big Hegelian. Hegelian Hegel is Hegel is a German philosopher uh you know and and um his philosophy kind of has is the underpinnings for marxism okay what what years oh okay hang on a second here <laughs> all right we're going to uh Hegel philosophy hang on let me see if i can look this up real quick i've read a little bit of Hegel and boyk can- is he hard to understand? Good night, George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. Okay, here we go. Hold on a second. Here, I think he's nineteenth century. Um. Okay, yeah. Here we go. August. Uh, he was uh, born August twenty seventh, seventeen seventy. Um. Dies November fourteenth, eighteen thirty one. Okay. So he's uh, kind of late enlightenment, you know, before the Romantics come into uh, to play philosophically, and his stuff kind of creates the underpinning for Marxism. Okay, uh, Jürgen Moltmann, who um, I, this is an interesting story. Uh, Mike Horton from the White Horse Inn, you know, teaches at Westminster Theological Seminary here in uh, Southern California. Um, th- there's a story that he had uh, he had some kind of a, either a dinner or a, an event where he was in the same room with Jürgen Moltmann and, uh, asked Moltmann, he, you know, he says, you know, is it possible for somebody to come and get a PhD degree from your, your, uh, university and study under you and graduate without first becoming a Hegelian? And Moltmann said, certainly not. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, so it doesn't surprise me that, uh, Our good friend Tony Jones is a fan of Jurgen Moltmann. Okay, in Miroslav Wolf, a heretic from uh, Fuller. All right, so I myself tend toward the social Trinitarianism articulated by theologians such as Jurgen Moltmann and Miroslav Wolf. While Moltmann has occasionally been accused of tritheism, for good reason, that charge doesn't stick based on a thorough reading of his work. But that's less my query than the importance of the Trinity for a claim of Christianity. And I want to point something out to you what's happening here? Okay, one of the things you're going to learn about postmoderns and the emergent types they they are very um, very thin on making pro, um, on making propositions regarding truth, and are very much into asking a lot of questions. They are very much into a tactic that's called deconstructionism. What we want to do is we want to. I'm not interested in in in, in finding out whether or not the uh, We have to really believe in the treaty, but let's ask questions about it, right? So, that's less my query than the importance of the Trinity 4 claim of Christianity. I'm sure that many of my conservative Christian readers won't even have to consider this question, and neither will the liberals. Oh, well, liberals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm more interested in those of you who are moderates. Put the LDSers aside for a moment. How about the Unitarians? They do trace the, their origins to Protestantism, and many consider themselves Christian. Unitarians believe that everyone's saved. Okay, uh, though others do not. Indeed, some Unitarians, a minority to be sure, have a traditional or high Christology. So my question is basically I- I- is this. Is an Orthodox Christ- uh, Christology enough to be considered Christian, or must one also articulate a Nicene Trinitarianism? You see what's going on here? <laughs> All right, let me help you out here. All right, some of you, I know some of you are looking at me like, going, what, do we, what do we do with that? Well, that's kind of the point of postmodernism, is it's just to really to get you to ask questions and uh, and not really arrive at real answers, but to kind of debate it. Because you can see the whole thing is set up in such a way that if you charge into this the wrong way, you're going to get your head lopped off. Well, you have to believe, well, okay, well, the, Trin- the doctrine of the Trinity wasn't formulated until Nicaea in 325. Are you saying that nobody was a Christian until 325? Huh? You see, that's what they do. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I um, actually left a comment for Mr. Tony Jones. Find Roseboro. Okay, there I am. Okay, Tony, watch what I do here. Truth doesn't change from person to person. Okay, notice he was not really interested in dialoguing with conservatives, per se, or liberals, because they already have their mind made made up on these things. There is not one truth for liberals or another for conservatives or another for moderates. Asking people's opinion on a matter does not get us any closer to knowing what the truth is regarding the doctrine of the Trinity or whether it is a fundamental, non-negotiable Christian doctrine. Furthermore, the Nicene Creed is derived from Scripture. Okay, We've got to keep this in mind. Where do our creeds come from? Okay. Our creeds are only good in so far as they correctly sum, summarize scripture. Now the Nicene Creed came about as a result of a, of a very pernicious dangerous heresy that was running through the church in the late 3rd and early 4th centuries. What was this pernicious dangerous doctrine? It was it was called Arianism. Okay? Arianism teaches that Jesus Christ is not really equal with god he's he was created by god and he's god-like he's god-ish but he's not the one true god in human flesh and god doesn't exist as a trinity in fact arianism is really the fundamental christology of the jehovah's witnesses today okay and so you know arius the heretic extraordinaire at the time you know was a very eloquent charismatic smart teacher and he built a large following within uh, Christianity of the late 2nd and early 3rd centuries and uh, who was the major defender of the doctrine of the Trinity against Arius? Athanasius of Alexandria Okay, young guy Okay, he was a young guy at the time and he really saw that uh, Arius' doctrine, you know, Christology destroys Christianity and he was a outspoken defender of of the biblical view of the doctrine of the Trinity. And this is even before the Council of Nicaea and before the doctrine was f- formally banged out, per se. Okay? And uh, there's even a story where uh, Athanasius and uh, and Arius have a meeting with each other, right? And, uh, and th- this is Roseboro's take on it. Um, Arius says to Athanasius, you know, give up. You know, hang up your towels, you know, Athanasius. The whole world is against you. And you know what Athanasius said? He said, no, it's Athanasius against the world for the world. (laughs) You know, and Athanasius got beat up a few times. And, you know, and this was in the days when, you know, bloodshed over theology was a common thing. So, you know, he he suffered greatly. So, um, you know, and the the Council of Nicaea met really to, to debate this issue. What does the Bible say? They didn't sit there and go... Um, you know what we want to do here is decide who's a Christian, who's not a Christian. No, what they did is they they said, "What does the Bible teach us about God?" It's time for us to flesh this out because a heresy has popped up in the church that is literally running like wildfire through this. And there's people on both sides of this issue, and it's time for us to let God's Word speak definitively. Okay, the end product of this, or one of the end products, is is what we call the Nicene Creed today. Okay, it was a creed that that is purely. Uh, trinitarian but a little bit later than that we have the athanasian creed although athanasius didn't write it it's it's named after him that really hammers out um the uh doctrine of the trinity now i can't read the whole thing because that when uh, trinity sunday whenever that thing comes around you know every year you know we athanasian actually yes yeah, yeah we we quote the athanasian creed it's bo- a long one yeah. it's it's one long puppy let me tell you Hang on a second here. Let me turn the sound down because I'm going to open up my copy of Logos Bible Software, and it has this really obnoxious music when it plays every single time that I open this. Yeah, I, I, in fact, if you got the Macintosh version of of LeBronix and the Logos software, I'll play the the music. Here we go. Here, this 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 music drives me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> It reminds me of, this
3: is the air I breathe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a second here. Book of Concord. Book of Concord. Here we go. What I want to do is open up the Athanasian Creed in the Book of Concord because the three chief symbols of the Christian faith. Now, listen to what the Athanasian Creed says regarding the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay. Now, as a Lutheran, I subscribe to the Athanasian Creed. It's part of our confessions of faith. Okay. So listen to this. Whoever wished to be saved must, above all else, hold to the true Christian faith. Whoever does not keep it, whole and undefiled, will without doubt perish for eternity. Okay? Um, another translation would say the Catholic faith. But the thing is, is that, that that's, a, that's a term that's loaded now. It's like, unfortunately, we can't use that term because when you say Catholic, people think Roman Catholic. Okay. Roman Catholic is one thing. Catholic is another thing. Okay. The problem is, is it just takes too darn long to explain this to people. So it's better just to say the Christian faith. Okay. So whoever does not keep the Christian faith whole and undefiled will without doubt perish for eternity. This is the true Christian faith that we worship one God and three persons in three persons in one God without confusing the persons or dividing the substance for the father is one person. The son is another and the Holy spirit is still another But there is one God, head of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, equal in glory and co-equal in majesty. What the Father is, that is the Son, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Father is uncreated. The Son is uncreated. The Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is unlimited. The Son is unlimited. The Holy Spirit is unlimited. The Father is eternal. The Son is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet there are not three eternals, but there is only one eternal. Okay? So this is basically, this creed, as long as it is, lays it out, And, uh, you know, basically says, if you want to be saved, then you have to hold this as the Christian faith. Okay. And if you do not, if you do not affirm this doctrine of the Trinity, um, then you should expect to perish eternally. That's what you should expect. Okay. And at the last stanza in this creed says, this is the true Christian faith. And unless a man believes this firmly and faithfully, he cannot be saved. Okay. Now, this begs the question, why? Why would you say such a thing? Why would you say that if you don't believe in the doctrine of the Trinity that you cannot be saved? Right? Okay. The answer to the question comes back to the uh, issue of idolatry. Okay. Let, let me read a couple of passages, of scripture for you. Okay. Leviticus chapter 26, in the right in the dead middle of the Mosaic law. Verse one, it says, you shall not make idols for yourselves or erect idols. An image or pillar and you shall not set up a figured, uh, figured stone in your land to bow down to it for I am the Lord your God okay now notice uh, if you read the grammar here grammar is always really important don't listen to the pomos on this grammar is very important you shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or a pillar okay it making an, an image or a pillar is not the only way that you make an idol for yourself okay let's just say that it, when it comes to idol manufacturing, okay, there are different types of idols. Okay. Now the obvious idols would be, you know, you go out and you cu- cut a tree down and you carve in some images into it and, you know, uh, maybe a bird thing or something, you know, some little scary, ugly face, you know, think like, you know, the Eskimos or think like, you know, on, on, you know, on the Hawaiian islands, you know, they're tiki gods, that kind of thing. And what you do is you carve it and then you set that thing up and then you bow down to it and say, Oh, you're my God. You're my God. Right. Okay. That's only one type of idol. Okay. An idol doesn't have to have an image. It doesn't have to be made out of wood. It doesn't have to be made out of stone. It doesn't even have to be something that requires you to go to Home Depot and use any kind of tools to make okay the other type of idol is something that is a theological construct within your mind okay a theological construct so there are other there are other types of idols okay so um, basically an idol would be anything that you've crafted or constructed either materially or mentally that you believe is God. Okay? And the attributes of this God fly in the face of what the one true God has revealed about himself. Okay? So if you believe that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer, which is what the Mormons believe, okay, then... The Jesus you believe in is not the real Jesus. The Jesus you believe in is a false theologically constructed idol. Okay? Now, let me give you another example of an idol here. Okay, keeping on the subject here. Oh, I should take a break, huh? Wow! I lost track of time. <laughs> John's looking at. Oh, wow. You know, I, I must be getting really excited here. Okay. <laughs> Okay, we're going to take our first break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about, uh, about idols. I'll give you another example of an idol. And uh, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or look me up on Facebook. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Uh, we'll be right back.
1: Sissyopified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
0: Fighting for the Faith is underwritten in part by LifeLock. Did you know that identity theft is a $50 billion a year business? And the severe downturn in the economy is providing identity thieves with even more incentives to hijack your identity and destroy your good name. But LifeLock provides a proactive identity theft service specializing in the prevention of identity theft rather than the reporting of it. LifeLock was founded in 2005 and is already considered the industry leader in identity theft prevention. In fact... LifeLock CEO Todd Davis is so confident in LifeLock's ability to protect your good name and stop identity thieves dead in their tracks that he freely shares his social security number on television, radio, and the internet. Furthermore, LifeLock guarantees its services up to $1 million. For more information on LifeLock, visit FightingForTheFaith.com and click on the LifeLock logo on our homepage. Right, right, we're back. Man, this show's going quick, man. I love this topic, by the way. We are talking about idolatry. And believe me when I tell you, this is a very important topic. The scriptures forbid you to create an idol for yourself. And so many people think that that has to do with, you know, some kind of primitive peoples. Primitive peoples who bow down and worship pieces of wood and stone and, and you know, dance around oak trees naked waving chicken feathers. No, 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 no. An idol is anything that you construct either with material goods or... Um, or really and it really goes, what goes along with it. And that's the funny thing about it, is that an idol... The image, the idols, the images that are created, okay, they generally have attached to them a completely different theological definition and construct about what the God that you're worshiping is, okay? You think about Baal, Baal, the Lord of the uh, sky, the Lord of the air, right? A completely different God than uh, Yahweh, okay? Completely different attributes. One is a completely man made false idea. And, the, uh, and Yahweh, what we know about him, that we find in Scripture and what he's revealed about himself. So if you don't like the God that has been revealed in the Scriptures, tough turkey lips. That's the God that actually exists, not the one that you make up. Now, I'm going to read something from my extreme theology, uh, not extreme theology, uh, a little leaven, the Museum of Idolatry. I don't know if you know this, but uh, I also happen to be the curator of the Museum of Idolatry. Why? Well, because I just love being the world's greatest spiritual dumpster diver for Jesus. Um, there is a church in uh, Ash Ashland, Oregon, the First Congregational United Church of Christ in Ashland, Oregon, and uh, their pastrix, the gal who uh, preaches from the pulpit illegally against God's word, her name is Pam Shepherd. And uh, she, at this point, is being reported in the Ashland Daily Tidings, which is their local newspaper up in Ashland, Oregon. Beautiful town, by the way. If you haven't been to Ashland, it's a, it's just absolutely one of the more beautiful towns in the world. Um, love the trees. Anyway, she uh, she writes uh, she she's basically made a decision that she refuses to sign any marriage certificates for heterosexual couples until gay people have the same marriage rights. Okay. So I put this up at the Museum of Idolatry, and um, a gentleman by the name of Mark, who claims to be a uh, uh, a homosexual, um, came onto the site, and he commented, okay, and uh, let's see what we've got here, here we go, Mark, okay, Mark, 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 all right, Mark, who is a homosexual, he claims that God made him gay, did you know that? he writes, Chris, I am a Christian and I'm gay. This is the way that God made me. It's not a choice. It's not a decision I made. It's my very being. And to change would be to disregard the gift that God has given me. Okay. So Mark claims that God made him gay. Okay. Now, there's a lot of homosexuals out there who basically say, "Nope, God made me gay." My response to him is, "No, God did not make you gay." Okay? In fact, I wrote Mark, I said, "Mark, God did not make you gay. You are gay because of man's fall into sin." Homosexuality is a sin, every bit as much as stealing, lying, and adultery, and there's and there isn't and there isn't one passage of scripture that you can point to that says God made you gay. Okay? Well, he didn't like that and he kept coming back at me. <clears throat> and basically, you know, we've quoted some scripture to him and he uh denies that's what that scripture says and basically says, "Why?" Well, I- Um, he he says, Chris, thank you for your thoughts. I I don't hear any mean or ugly thoughts here, just a lack of understanding. I thank you for the Bible verses, but I'm well aware of them. When one looks into the historical aspects of the language and writings, there are often incorrect translations. As the Bible was a verbal, uh, verbal telling for so long and then written and then copied, often by people who themselves could not read, he basically has no concept of how the Bible got to us and what he believes is false, by the way, historically. He says, I do not believe in a literal reading of the Bible. Take, for instance, the verse in first corinthians chapter six verse nine in the king james version it ends with nor abusers of themselves with mankind i am not convinced that this is the same as homosexuality actually i am not sure exactly what the writer intended that would be paul in first corinthians chapter six which by the way um, that particular passage is really clear let me find this real quick um, yeah because it's here we go first corinthians chapter six verses 9 through 11. It says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed." You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. Great gospel passage, by the way, too. There's all this sin, and we were that once, and then God justifies us, declares us to be righteous in Jesus Christ. Okay? Wonderful gospel passage. So he says that he doesn't know what, the, what that uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 9 means he, does, he because he chose the confusion of other translations. So I basically wrote him. I said, Mark, I read Hebrew, and I read Greek, and I have a degree in biblical languages. In the passage in question, the Greek word is arsenokoites. It is a combination of two Greek words, arsen and koites, and it literally means men who have sexual relations with other men. That's what the Greek word literally means. It's actually very descriptive in the Greek. Again, the issue here is that the Bible clearly condemns homosexuality as sinful, and only those who are undermining the scripture are trying to find a way to justify homosexuality and remove it from the sin list are those who are saying that we can't know for sure what these passages really mean. Actually, we can know. All you have to do is spend a little time learning some languages. So I said, God did not make you gay. The Bible is clear that only Adam and Eve were made in God's perfect image. All of the rest of us, after Adam and Eve's sin and their fall, are born dead in trespasses and sins and are by nature objects of God's wrath. Now that includes you and me. Okay? I was quoting Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3. through three. So I tell Mark, again you are in gross and egregious sin, and rather than repent, which means change your mind, and confess your sins and receive Christ's mercy and forgiveness, you are instead twisting God's word and trying to justify your sin. Repent. You are in danger of the fires of hell. Christ is offering you forgiveness and mercy for your sins of homosexuality, as well as your lies and your thefts and your adulteries. The God you've been describing and believe in is not the God of the Bible. Instead, your God, the one who blesses people by making them homosexuals, is a false idol of your own making, and that God does not exist. Repent. Okay? So folks, when people say they believe in God, you've got to spend time with them unpacking what do they mean by that? Which God do they are they talking about? Don't just assume if somebody says the word God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit or whatever, that they're talking about the biblical God, the biblical Jesus and the biblical Holy Spirit. There is a bunch of people who fall under the banner of nowadays, they call themselves progressive Christians. They're neither progressive nor are they Christian. But these progressive Christians believe in a God that makes people homosexuals, that makes people gay. There is no such God. The one true God has declared homosexuality to be a sin, just as much as not loving God with all of your heart, not obeying your parents, lying, stealing, committing adultery, coveting. All of those sins are sins. So is homosexuality. So, when somebody says God made me gay, you first you got to attack that God and say, really, where did you wh- tell me about this God? Where did he come from? Where did you learn about him? Where has he revealed himself? Can you point me to any 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 authoritative evidence that this God that makes people gay and blesses people by making them gay? Where does where can I find out more about this God and where he exists? And if they point you to the Bible, you say, well, the Bible says a is a sin. And it doesn't say anywhere that God makes people gay. That's just, that, that's, it, that God doesn't exist. He is an idol. So we come back to Tony Jones. Okay, Tony Jones. <clears throat> and so he's asking the question, is, the, uh, is belief in the Trinity uh, uh, you know optional? The answer to the question is no, it's not. Why? Because God has revealed himself as the Trinity. There is only one God, and he has revealed himself as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Yet there are not three gods, there are one God. That is what the Bible teaches. That is what how God has revealed himself. To deny the doctrine of the Trinity, to deny the doctrine of the Trinity, is to deny God as he has revealed himself to be. And there's a great line in Mythbusters. I've got to go. You know, I, I probably have it on my TiVo now because there was a, there was a, a Mythbusters marathon during, uh, during the, the, the holiday that just passed, the New Year's holiday. And uh, one of the characters, I think his, na- his name is Adam. He says, I reject your reality and I substitute my own. Okay, that's the famous line. Okay. Idolatry is where you reject the real God. The real God is he has revealed himself and you insert your own God. Okay. So Mormons, they don't believe in the doctrine of the Trinity and the God they believe in is a false idolatrous theological construct. It is an idol. It is not the God that has revealed himself in scripture. It is a God that is literally the, either the demonic musings, uh, you know, revelation of Satan or the, um, the imaginations of Joseph Smith, but it's not the God who the one true God as he has revealed himself in scripture. So that's what we have to guard against. So I told Tony Jones, postmodern emergent, plain and simple. If you believe in and worship an idol and refuse to believe God as he has revealed himself in the scripture, remember some idols are made of wood and stone while others are theological constructs then you are not a Christian anyone who does not believe in the triune God as he has revealed himself in scripture but instead chooses to substitute their own idol and false God for the one true God that person is not a Christian period okay so that's why idolatry is so dangerous because idolatry is the substitution of your man-made God whether he be made out of wood or gold or silver or stone or is just a theological construct within your mind. It's the substitution of the real God with your false man-made created God. And your false man-made created God can't save you because he doesn't exist. Or as Elijah said on Mount Carmel to the prophets of Baal, shout louder. Maybe your God is relieving himself on the toilet. He can't hear you. Shout louder. The reason why I he can't hear you because he's not there. The God of Mark, the, the God that blesses people by making them homosexual, does not exist. The God of the Mormons doesn't exist. Only the one true God as he has revealed himself in Holy Scripture is the one who exists. And you would be wise to fear and love and trust him and to believe That he is how and who he reveals himself to be. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but one. Maybe I should spend some time tomorrow on the scriptural basis for the Doctrine of the Trinity. It's worth a shot. Alright, we'll do that tomorrow. We'll spend a little time on the Doctrine of the Trinity. Alright, here we go. Let me get this up. So now we can do the uh, How to Share Your Faith Using Leona Lewis's Bleeding Love. I can't... What... No, no, we're going to take a break at the the top of the hour. And I have to hit this one. (laughs) I am. You know, I I have been getting better at hitting my breaks, you know, and today just. Anyway. All right. Um, We've got a news story from the Christian Post. Um, (sighs) Guest columnist Jan Dratz. And all I can say is Drat. The headline reads: "How to share your faith using Leona Lewis's bleeding love." Why can't we just use the Bible? <laughs> um. Okay, it, it's, it's not very relevant. It see that well. See, that's kind of the point, huh? You know, because we can't can't you share you can't share the Bible you can't share your faith using the Bible. No one wants to hear that, right? So now we've got to uh, re, we've got to share your faith using Leona Lewis's. Bleeding Love. Now, I did a little research on this on this song. Okay, uh, Leona Lewis's "Bleeding Love." How long ago do you think that thing came out?
1: I, I don't know. I'm not sure of the song.
0: You're not sure of the song? Okay. Well, thankfully, we have an ASCAP license, and we're capable of <laughs> of um, of, uh, of playing this because uh, you know we're we're covered under ASCAP. Okay. So uh, this was put out. You know, Simon uh, Simon Cowell discovered this this gal, Leona Lewis. And uh, here's here's her song. It, it actually, I think it went to the top of the charts. It was extremely popular.
3: <music>
4: Closed <laughs> off from love, I didn't need the pain. Once or twice was enough and it was all in vain Time starts to pass before you know it, you're frozen But something happened for the very first time with you My heart melted to the ground
0: So that, that catchy tune, I mean, as far as a pop song goes, I mean, I, that's, that it's pretty decent. All right. I, although I, as a guy, I hear the lyrics and I'm thinking, girl, this girl's a psycho, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, this sounds like, like one of those fatal attraction women, you know, I, I feel sorry for the guy that inspired this particular uh, song. Okay. So h- how long ago do you think that came out? I don't know. Um, October, 2007. Okay, October 2007. So this song has been out for a year and and a quarter for, you know, so one year and three months, fifth, you know, what, 15, 15 months or so? Okay. And uh, on YouTube, this particular video of uh, Leona Lewis uh, has been viewed 79 million times. Okay. Obviously, uh, Simon Cowell has made a truckload of money off of Leona Lewis, right? So, um, okay, so... Um, a 15-month-old pop song, um, how relevant is that? I mean, I mean, what's the shelf life of a pop song nowadays? I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, I listen to oldies from the 80s, and uh, <clears throat> boy, does that make me feel old. So, uh, anyway, nothing in the song, I've read the lyrics, nothing in the song makes me think that this is particularly Christian. Okay, nothing about Jesus Christ in this song, right? But the um, Christian post, how to share your faith using Leona Lewis's Bleeding Love. It quotes from the lyrics. It says, my heart's crippled by the vein that I keep on closing. You cut me open and I keep bleeding. I keep, keep bleeding love. That's, that's the opening to this uh <clears throat> particular um, column okay leona lewis's chart topping song bleeding love zeroes in on a truth we know from personal experience sometimes relationships hurt (laughs) really i had no idea it's a it's it's a reality of this fallen world that we live in and until jesus returns or takes us home to be with him there will be times when we get hurt by others um, right off the bat, um, point something out here. Notice that this is very one-sided. Okay. I'm getting hurt by others. What about the people? The, the, there's hurt ease and hurtors, right? Okay. So the, we, we, those who get hurt by others are the hurtes, and those who are doing the hurting are the hurtors. Uh, this is written from the point of view of the victim. Okay. Um, what about the people who, uh, are the ones who are causing the pain in a relationship. Anything wrong with that? Okay, notice that they're not being reached out to here. Arriving at healthy emotional boundaries with those who repeatedly inflict emotional pain on others can be a long and messy process. Arriving at healthy emotional boundaries. I do believe that that's psychology talk. (laughs) Okay, sometimes we flounder around trying to find those healthy boundaries. And in the meantime, the resulting hurt can feel overwhelming. What if you're the one who's, like, breaking the boundaries, who's not respecting the boundaries, the hurtors? Why is this written from only the point of view of the victim, the hurtee? Okay. Okay, so resulting hurt can feel overwhelming. Dysfunctional divorce, drama, whatever shape or size the hurt comes in, it can lead us down the road to distress and despair. You are in the pit of despair. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Great line from uh, Princess Bride. Okay, so um, so far, sharing your faith using Leona Lewis's Bleeding Love is written from a victim perspective, and it talks about emotional boundaries and those who get that, that terrible truth that you can get hurt by a relationship. Can you believe that? We'll talk more about it on the other side of the break. Um, if you'd like to email me and tell me how your Christian walk actually, you grew close, closer to Christ as a result of Leona Lewis's song, Bleeding Love, um, email me. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. And if you're listening on another network, like Christian Worldview Network, Fighting for the Faith is a two-hour-long program. You can hear the rest of this program at fightingforthefaith.com. Come on by would love to have you.
2: We'll be back in a minute.
4: This is the air I breathe. This is the Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio.
1: My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at newreformationpress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation, Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible.
0: right, we're back. I'd like to thank you guys for staying with us, Hour 2 of Fighting for the Faith. Especially if you came over from Christian Worldview Network. We just started uh, broadcasting on Christian Worldview Network outside of Pirate Christian Radio. Can you believe that? Yeah, started that yesterday. So we're expanding the reach of Fighting for the Faith, and I'm very excited about that. Brandon House does a good job of having a good website that's a clearinghouse for a lot of good theological discussion and debate. And he brings people to the table that don't necessarily see eye to eye uh, from a denominational point of view. But the one thing we all have in common is the fundamentals of the faith, that we all believe in Christ crucified, the sufficiency and errancy of Scripture, the Trinity. Tony Jones. Um, (laughs) And so and what are we doing? We're using our time to get out there and fight the growing apostasy by preaching the truth and preaching the gospel. Have you heard the gospel today? We should, you know. I, I need to hear it every day. I need to preach it to myself every day. Here's the good news. Christ died for your sins. If you are a Christian, I've got great news for you. This is not a message that's just for unbelievers or the unchurched or the person who hasn't yet made a decision for Jesus. No, Christ died for your sins. You know the sins that you committed this morning? the ones you committed when you got to work the one you committed, the ones you committed with last night in your mind how
1: about on the way to work
0: on the way to work while no one was watching those sins Christ died for those too and he's offering you forgiveness for them
1: so would you say breaking
0: the laws of sin dude i can't not keep the speed limit yeah um, i mean they
4: can't lie. man
0: so and see that's the question i have Is, okay all right so the speed the posted speed limit says 65 here in southern california right 70 if you're out on one of the major highways um does God have like a meter that clicks off, you know, <laughs> like, like a taxi cab, you know, for every, is it every minute, every second, you know, and see, the thing is, is with God, I don't think it matters, you know, he's sitting again, but that's sitting. Yeah, it is. All right. Coming back to, uh, how to share your faith using Leona Lewis's bleeding love. Now you, you pointed this out. It's a pathetic attempt at being relevant. Isn't it, you know, I, folks, I'm going to just make this perfectly clear. Relevance is a fickle and finicky mistress. We should not, as the Christian church or as the bride of Christ, be hooking up with relevance, okay? This woman is, is well, she's an idol, of course, but I'm telling you, she's really fin- finicky because here's the deal. Relevance, You want you think she's gorgeous today, man. I want to be hanging out with relevance. Relevance is gorgeous. She's beautiful. Look at all how, look how many people are listening to the latest, most relevant thing. We've got to find a way to tap into that, right? See, the problem is, is that first of all, we Christians don't have a message that's relevant in that way. Okay. And all these stupid fads that run through Christianity, they are that. They are fads. They are fleeting and stupid. And then all of the stuff of us chasing after relevance just makes us look like, oh, 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 please don't fr- – we're, we're, we're cool. We Christians can be hip too. See, we can we, – we, we have the act like a Christian. Elbows up, hands up high like a Christian, right? Okay. The problem is that we look pathetic and stupid every single time we do it. And relevance is a fickle mistress. You hook up with relevance. I'm telling you she'll make you feel like you're on top of the world today but tomorrow you are yesterday's leftover meatloaf and you are tossed out into the trash can and believe me when I tell you one of the sections that we have at the Museum of Idolatry which is at a little 11.com is the graveyard of relevance and boy is that fun i mean it's like going back through your old family photos and saying wow i had a i had really big hair back then <laughs> <laughs> Folks, we don't need to we don't need to hook up with relevance. We don't need to be courting her, marrying her, hanging out with her, or anything. Because we already know from Christ's word that the gospel that we preach isn't relevant. It applies to everybody. Okay? And that's a wonderful thing about it. It's relevant in that sense, is that the good news that Christ died for your sins, that's something that you can you can preach to somebody who is um A pinhead, a dweeb, a metal – a motorhead, somebody who's into heavy metal, a goth um, who likes pop music, uh, whatever the latest – thing, whatever the new fad is, whatever they call themselves, okay? Christ died for everybody regardless of whatever little subgroup or subculture you think you're a part of. Okay, or whatever your musical tastes are, whether you like Western, whether you like classical, whether or not you like rock and roll, whether or not you like uh, 80s music like me, like Duran Duran, you know, things like that. OK, it doesn't matter. The, The gospel message applies to everybody equally. And the problem is, is that when you try to reach people from a particular fad point of view, you're actually excluding a whole lot of other people. You're, you're trying to be relevant to a particular subgroup and a subculture and a sub thing that's going on. It might be popular in the sense that there's a lot of people in the United States that are following it. There's a whole lot more people who aren't, okay? Take Leona Lewis's uh, video, for instance. Okay. 79 million people have viewed it worldwide. Okay. There are 6 billion people on the planet okay and even though that song went to platinum or titanium or whatever the you know whatever they go um, and there was a lot of people who purchased it and they've made millions and millions of dollars um, they haven't made billions and billions of dollars off the song because uh, the vast majority of humanity doesn't care about Leona Lewis's song we're called to preach the gospel to everybody and uh <clears throat> Anyway, let's continue with this little op-ed piece. <clears throat> okay, arriving at healthy emotional boundaries with those who repeatedly inflict emotional pain on others can be a long and messy process. I This just feels like squishy pop psychology to me. Sometimes we flounder around trying to find those healthy boundaries, and in the meantime, the resulting hurt can feel overwhelming, dysfunctional. Dysfunction, divorce, drama, whatever shape or size the hurt comes in, it can lead us down the road to distress and despair. Coping with the hurt from relational distress sometimes pulls us into a bad place. Remember that the name of this article is How to Share Your Faith Using Leona Lewis's Bleeding Love. What are we talking about so far? Where's the faith in here? (sighs) So, you know, we all all have it. Okay, so coping with the hurt from emotional distress sometimes pulls us into a bad place. Cutting, addiction, withdrawal, rage, or any number of destructive behaviors. (sighs) Can you say sin? Folks, S-I-N. It's a three-letter word, one syllable. Okay, With a big I in the middle of it, because that's the problem with sin. It's all about me, 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 I, 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 that's the, anyway. (sighs) So apparently, sins are no longer sins, they're destructive behaviors. And the hurt that started as a reaction to another human can sometimes begin to act as a wedge in one's relationship with God. Sometimes begin to sort of act like a wedge. Our sin separates us from God. That's the problem, isn't it? As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to walk, in which you followed the, uh, that's Ephesians chapter two there, (laughs) destructive behaviors acting as a wedge, good Lord, that pushes somewhere towards God or pushes them away from him. But often it's during the tough times that our friends are open to hearing about God's love for them and he promises to come alongside and walk through some tough stuff with them is that the Christian gospel that God promises to come alongside and walk through some tough stuff with you? Where is that in the, Mm. okay, I'm getting frustrated with this article, by the way, whether the hurt is our own or we feel ourselves walking beside friends as they go through tough relational patches. Sometimes we need to be reminded or told for the first time of God's love. Okay. Yes. So when you you or your friends are hurting from relational drama, hold on to the hope of God's promises as found in his love letter to us, the Bible. The Bible's are is God's love letter to us? That is the craziest love letter I've ever read. Um, it doesn't read like a love letter.
1: I would say not.
0: <laughs> Maybe it's just because I'm a guy. Okay. I, I don't have the uh, Precious Moments Bible. I don't. <laughs>
1: i just think the pictures are different it's is that
0: (laughs) could you imagine a picture of jesus being crucified as a precious moments figurine (laughs) okay that tells people way too much about me okay (laughs) moving along okay so when you or your friends are hurting from relational drama hold on to the hope of god's promises as found in his love letter to us the bible because god really does bleed his love for us oh i had you just saw that one coming didn't you yeah, but there's let's see if they explain the context. So, okay, so apparently this is the uh, this is a truncated love, love letter that God wrote that you can read to some this is how you're sharing your faith now. Give him this little love letter. Quote, "My child, apparently this is God speaking. You may know me, but I know everything about you, and I am familiar with all of your ways, even the very heads of your head, hair's of your head are numbered. For you were made in my image, and in me you live, move, and have your being. For you are my child." Um, uh, there's a problem already. They're giving proof text here. By the way, we'll put a link up to this uh, post at uh, fightingforthefaith.com. If you would like, to. actually, you know what? It's at a little leaven.com. Go to a little leaven.com. It's already there. So if you want to read this, go to a little and click on the link, and you can read this for yourself. There's already a problem here. Is that some of the quote, some of the stuff that they're saying, they're quoting, um, is stuff that only applies to Christians. Okay, some of this assurance here, it doesn't apply to humanity universally. It applies to people who are Christians. Uh, For instance, um, Jesus, remember we were reading this yesterday in uh, John chapter eight. He said to the Pharisees that they don't they don't listen to his word and they don't believe him because they're not of God. They are of their father, the devil. And uh, people who are not Christians, people who do not believe in Christ, who do not trust Christ, um, they are still under the wrath of God. Um John chapter 3. Let's see. Let me pull this up in my computerized Bible here using the ESV of course, which is the English Sanctified Version. Okay. Bad. I know, I know. <laughs> Somebody, you know, somebody emailed me a question. Asked uh, if there was a good version of the ESV that, that I recommended. There's a good ESV study Bible out there, and there's a section in that that uh, talk uh, that, that's really good. There's like a 50 page article talking about you know, Christ, it's good Christology. Good, good bi- study Bible. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Let's see for for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay, that would exclude some people. Okay, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world in order that the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Okay, what's the state of somebody who isn't a Christian? They're condemned. Okay, okay. So, writing a love letter to somebody quoting verses or portions of verses that are that really only talk about our state with God after we trust in Christ um, is really kind of that's bad. False hope, yeah, false hope. So this love letter continues. I am the Father who comes alongside you in all of your troubles. Um, quoting Second Corinthians chapter one verses three and four. Who was that written to? Christians. Christians. Yeah. When your heart is broken, you will find me right there close to you. Um, As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have gathered you into my arms. And one day in the perfection of heaven, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Really? I'm supposed to give this to a non-Christian and basically say that God is promising that one day he's going to wipe away the tears from their eyes, but that's if they're in hell, God won't be wiping away their tears, will he? No. (sighs) Oh, man. Yeah, this is... All fraught with problems, folks. um, Christians, listen. If you are going to uh, share your faith, don't use Leona Lewis's song. Let's let's just avoid that altogether. And uh, why don't you use God's word in context instead? Tell people about their sin. Why? Because well, having a savior doesn't make any sense unless you understand the problem. The problem is sin. And this article here it doesn't really talk about sin and just kind of has this one-sided uh lovey-dovey approach without and, and written for victims not the people who've committed the sin right oh are you a victim of a bad relationship then God wants to come alongside of you uh I, as a Christian I and somebody who understands the scriptures and it has to be honest here I would say no this is not really the right way to do this you have to tell this you have to sit down with this person and say so tell me um what did you do wrong you your boyfriend yeah, no oh, stop that. John just said, Jesus is my boyfriend. Yeah, the bearded woman. And you know what? There's a lot of people out there who follow a Jesus who resembles a bearded woman. And which is one of the reasons why I can't sing songs like this is the air I breathe. I mean, it sounds like somebody wants to French kiss Jesus and just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Anyway, um, so, yeah, folks, um, the problem is not that we're victims. The problem is, is that we are the ones who are committing the sin and that we deserve God's temporal and eternal punishments every one of us that's me that's you that's your friends that's your neighbors It's the, the person who's in a tough relationship where emotional boundaries were apparently repeatedly uh, unhealthy whatever that means what does it mean to have an unhealthy emotional boundary just, okay the problem is sin sin okay god has every right to throw us into hell he has every right to throw you into hell And the good news is that Christ died for your sins. Repent and believe the good news. Christ died for your sins. The uh, how to share your faith using Leona Lewis's bleeding love will save absolutely zero people. Why? Because it doesn't even preach the real gospel. I'm I'm sorry, but God doesn't save people through false gospels or watered-down gospels. He saves people through the one true gospel. (laughs) Do I hear an amen on that? Amen. 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 All right. All right. Okay. Now we're, let me pull this next one up. We're going to do a sermon review and it's going to be a bad one. One of the people we like to uh, review from time to time is David Foster. Why? Because David Foster seems to be stuck on himself and is absolutely dead set on preaching a positive message. He just does not believe in making anybody feel bad and feeling like a sinner or anything like that. Yet, his um, despite the fact that he's committed to this positive approach to preaching and, and, and getting the good news out, his latest uh, sermon series is called The Dumbest Things We Do During Downtimes. I... <laughs> uh, folks, um, Christian pastors, are we supposed to be preaching about the dumb things that we do during downtimes? Or are we supposed to proclaim Christ and Him crucified and to preach God's word? Uh, let me read this passage again because everyone thinks I'm just so negative. Um, the words are "preach the word." Oh man, and I, I need to look in the New Testament, not the Old. Preach the word. Second Timothy two four. I'm mean, sorry, I did that wrong. Backwards. Stop. Rewind the tape. Reverse it. Second Timothy four verse two i'm going to read it starting verse one paul writing to young pastor timothy i charge you in the presence of god and of christ jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. All let right, right, uh, we're going to basically ask the question, as you're listening to this particular sermon, um, is uh, he preaching the word for real? I mean, is he really preaching the word? Is Dave Foster really preaching the word? Um, and he's, his church is called The Gathering, and he's in Tennessee. Um, is he really preaching the word, or is he um, one of these itching ear kind of pastors?
4: Itching ear. Yeah, you're,
0: you're, your bet's with the itching ears, right? Yeah. So the name of the sermon is uh, the Sermon Series is The Dumbest Things We Do During Down Times. Here we go. One of
2: the great leaders that I admire, Max Dupree, said that the first obligation of a leader is to define reality.
0: All right, we're we're off to a bad start. (laughs) Max Dupree, the the definition of uh, the the first job of a leader is to define reality. How many realities are there? One. All right. Okay.
2: Series As we begin this year, fourth dumbest things we do during down times, I want to try to define reality. And the first thing I think you've got to do is you've got to acknowledge that there are an awful lot of people in our culture that get paid to deliver a consistent diet of bad news. Now I'm not talking about Pollyanna-ishness or uh, you know, ignoring reality and all the rest. I'm just talking about there are people who get paid. They're entertainers. Are you with me? I mean ESPN. I mean, how much football can you talk about? You talk about the same person over oh, and no, over 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 and no. over. I just don't care.
0: Now, how's Tennessee did, how did Tennessee uh the Tennessee Titans do this year uh in football? Did they do well? I'm not sure. Oh, you're a baseball guy. I yeah, don't, I don't I don't, I don't, don't really follow football, football either. So apparently
1: basketball yeah, basketball.
0: See, my question is, OK, he's saying that there are paid entertainers whose job is to deliver bad news. Right. On a regular basis. And his first example out of the shoot is the ESPN guys. So me, I'm going, OK, he's from Tennessee. How well did the Titans do. I mean, was it a bad news year for the Titans or a bad game? I don't know. I mean, so. So anytime the ESPN guys, you know, report the news that the Tennessee Titans haven't done well. And maybe maybe that's what he's talking about. Right. I I don't know I don't know who he roots for. Okay, we continue. You're gonna Google the Tennessee Titans and see how they did this year. I'm gonna go with the NFL. Oh, you're gonna go NFL.com? Yeah, you do that. Okay, and continue I mean, with Come the on,
2: sermon. really? There are bad news people among us who get paid an awful lot of money, and when we listen to them, this constant barrage of information and loud voices and colorful pictures into our lives, we tend to create bad habits on the basis of these bad news people now who are the bad news people i can tell you who they are they're the people who do one of three things they feed off of fear they fuel uncertainty and they foster doubt
0: oh wonderful alliteration we have to give them kudos for the alliteration they feed off of fear they foster uncertainty i anyway (laughs) any news on the tennessee titans there. Okay, you're getting there. All right, all right. We'll, we'll report in as soon as we get uh, some information from NFL.com to find out how bad the Tennessee Titans did this year, because that's apparently an example of bad news. Well, they got shut out of their last game. Shut out. They got shut out in their last game. That's terrible. I mean, I wonder how that fosters fear. Anyway,
2: <laughs> these are the people who know what's wrong, but have never had a clue in their life what's right. They show up. They are common taters.
0: <laughs> dun, 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 psh. that was funny commentators uh, they're potatoes of some kind
2: but how many of you know it does take no size whatsoever to criticize yeah. period We don't build monuments to critics. We build monuments to men, average, ordinary men and women who live in extraordinary times. Billy Joel, that great theologian, was right. We didn't start the fire, but we've been trying to fight it, though we didn't light it. Amen? We live in a world that's not okay. I'm a big Zeth Godin fan. If any of you are, if you subscribe to his blog, he had a great blog yesterday. What?
0: The great theologian was that Billy Joel he quoted? Oh man. Um, uh, let me... Tennessee won their division. They won their division? Yeah. Okay, so Tennessee won their division. Okay, so they did well. Yeah. All right. Well, I, well I don't... It was the game they lost. Maybe he doesn't root for them. Maybe he roots for the Lakers or something. I don't, I don't know. <sighs> okay. All right. So but ESPN, those are bad news. I don't know. Okay, uh, let me read that passage again from Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God in Christ who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom uh, to preach the word. That's what God's word tells pastors to do, to preach the word. All right. All right, let's uh, continue
2: things are not okay no they're not okay they weren't okay before you got here they won't be okay after you leave we were born into a not okay world you live in a not okay family you work in a not okay industry we live in a world full of problems and challenges that's why we get up every morning
0: um isn't he describing a world full of sinners yep Okay, just wondering. Okay. I want to make sure that uh, sin really is the problem here, even though it isn't really being called that.
1: Yeah, he doesn't label that one, does he? Mm,
0: well, we'll find out. Let's, okay. let's give him the benefit of the doubt just for the sake of the radio program.
2: That's just half of that page right there. I mean, I got a whole lot more. <laughs> So we listen to these bad news people. We develop habits, and I call and, and, the, and the first one we're going to talk about today is this: this thing we hear people say we need to. What we need to do today is hunker down. I, I love that phrase, hunker, because it, it, it it's 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 what it it sounds like what it is. Hunker down. Have you ever hunkered down? I mean, there are times to hunker down.
0: Hold on a second here. I got, I got to do a little. Okay, all right, here's my Bible program, and I'm going to look up the word hunker. Hunker. And let's expand it so we can look in both the Old Testament and New Testament. Okay, is the word hunker in the Bible? Uh, no. No. Um, hunker. The, the word hunker is nowhere in the Bible. Hmm. Okay, moving along.
2: If A tornado is coming across your lawn, hunker down. Right? I have hunkered down. Anybody ever hunkered down waiting for tornadoes to come through and slept the night in your bathtub besides me? That's not fun. So there is a time for hunkering down. But hunkering down means make myself really small. Kind of get down and kind of be so small that somehow that I will wake up one day and this will all be over. It ain't ever going to be over. Change and transition are part of life. You arrive in this world, change or die. Your company's change or die. That's a good thing. Change is what we were created for. That's why we call God our creator. We are the created. He is creative. We are created in His image. And so image bearing means that we are creative, problem-solving people. Have you-
0: Can you give me a verse for that? And is, is there – folks, any of you listening, can you pass along any Bible verses that say that – what he just said? <laughs> Steve Martin had a routine about getting small. He did? Yes, yeah. Uh, I'm not familiar with Steve Martin's – that particular routine. But it's
1: talking about getting high. It's, oh, okay.
0: All All righty. Okay, so apparently, um, by the way, um, when it ta- are we really, are, since we're by nature objects of God's wrath after the fall, we're dead in sin, trespasses in sin, we sin because we're sinners, um, do we still bear the image of God? I mean, if we do, it's really broken and messed up. You know, uh, A.E. Wilder Smith, he had a great analogy regarding humanity and uh he was in uh, Great Britain during the time the Nazis were bombing uh London, and he described uh walking down the street after the you know after a night of bombing and there was a particular church that had been completely bombed out okay the only thing left was you know the roof was completely gone um the only thing left was a few of the walls they, they were they were partially standing and and there was you know broken. Uh, broken glass from the stained glass windows and, and the wood from the pews had all burned up and, every, and everything. And he basically in his description of this, he basically said um, this bombed out church probably closely represents how we bear God's image now. Okay. Um, you could tell by the debris that whatever this church was, whatever it looked like before it was bombed out, it was beautiful and majestic and amazing. But there's no way in your mind, if you didn't know what the church looked like before it was bombed out, there's no way to reconstruct the pieces to put it back together in your mind to know what that church looked like before it was bombed out and how majestic it was. So um, we sinners are dead and uh, at war with God by nature, dead in our trespasses and, skin, and sins. And uh, what's left of the image of God, believe me when I tell you, it's a hulking ruin and it's... it. Nah. This idea that we bear the image of God, I mean, we won't bear it perfectly until Christ raises us from the dead on the last day, renews us, brand new bodies, by the way. I'm looking forward to that. Um, All right, we continue.
2: If this true, have kids! I mean, kids have a way to get what they want. Am I right? I mean, they can find a way around you. If you don't believe that, you don't want to have kids, you don't want to go to something that drastic, have a dog. And the dog would give up. I mean, we are creative people. But here's what we do. We, we, we hunker down. We listen to the bad news. And four things happen to us as we hunker down, it seems to me. One, our attitude sours. I mean, have you around people who just, they're soured on life? There's nothing good. I mean, everything is bad. What's wrong with these people? What are they eating? Well, they get paid to do this. It's drama. It's not reality, it's fabricated reality. Are you with me?
0: There are a lot- uh, I just want to make sure th- this is a sermon. <laughs> just so you know, this is a sermon at this church. And apparently there's four bad things that happen when we hunker down, even though the word "hunker" appears n- nowhere in Scripture. Um, our attitude's sour. That's number one.
2: Okay. Reasons ...to get up today and to feel really good. As a matter of fact, any day above dirt is a good day. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. You wake up dead. And it, I mean, you know, it may be, you may be in a better place, but your career here is over. Second, our work muscles shrink. I mean, a lot of what's wrong with us, we just live around a bunch of lazy people. Come on, let's just call a spade a spade. Please, we do. Can, we can, you know, well, I was dropped on my head when I was a kid, and, you know, and nobody loved me, and I don't, you know, I'm just, I'm, I don't have enough energy. Oh, grow up. Shut up and grow up. Come on. When we just... Okay, so how does the Bible deal with
0: laziness? Does it tell you to just shut up and grow up? No, it says that it's a sin. And what do we do with sin? We repent of our sins and we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, right? Okay. All right. I just want to make sure. So his solution to laziness is to uh, shut up and grow up. Okay. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. All right, but it doesn't say shut up and grow up.
2: Just hunker down. I mean, try to hunker down. I mean, hunker down for about an afternoon. And then get up. You can't do it. I mean, your muscles atrophy. Our work muscles. We were born to a country that gives us the freedom to excel and prosper at so many wonderful kinds of jobs. But you've got to work. I mean, you see it on TV. You know how to lose 75 pounds in three afternoons without really trying. And you know it's a lie, but you buy it anyway for the outside chance that just maybe you could be on the cutting edge of the breakthrough. (laughs) There is no wealth without work. Say it with me. There is no wealth without work. This is a God-designed system. I didn't design it. And so if you don't work, you don't get wealth. The Bible even says this. If you don't work, you don't eat.
0: No, so he quoted my passage. Okay. And uh, law so far, right? I mean, what? I mean, what is this? I mean, that was the first appearance of God's word right there. Is uh, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And um, okay,
2: you deserve a house. No, you don't. No, you don't. You need to earn a house. You deserve a new car. No, you don't. No, 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 no. You deserve air. That's about it. I don't think you deserve. You know, God will determine what you deserve. <laughs> I uh, had two yeah. Okay,
0: deserve talk. Okay, deserve talk is law talk. Okay, stop for a second. Uh, he, he's trying to be funny. He's not really working. I guess he. Ha- it's these. You have to know him. Um, deserve. What do we deserve? Do we even deserve air? Now I know I don't, and I think jo- John, you don't deserve air, no. do you? No. I mean, it's God's heir. He made it, right? And uh, my life uh, is uh, one long string of sinning, right? Breaking God's law. As Paul says in Romans chapter 7 the things I don't want to do, I do. Things I do want to do, I don't do. You know, he ends that little thing off with Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of sin, right? A really
1: good description of a
0: Christian. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, that's the thing, we Christians. And by the way, Christians are the only one who have this struggle. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us going, stop! <laughs> don't! <laughs> oh, man, you did it now. Okay, non-Christians don't worry about that. They just go along their merry way, living, and it doesn't matter if I did the wrong thing. Who cares? It Because was...
1: they're good people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not even a good person. How does a non-Christian qualify as a good person? Anyway, so what do we all deserve since we sin and we have sinned and we continue to sin? What do we deserve? Answer, hell. We deserve God's wrath. Okay? I don't even deserve God's heir, which is why in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the tax collector can't even look up to heaven and he says, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. He knows what he deserves. He doesn't even deserve to have God hear him, right? Yet God does hear that prayer. And uh, apparently, according to Dave Foster from the gathering in Franklin, Tennessee, about the best that we deserve is air. And I'm just not even sure what this, is, where this is going.
2: You know, I mean, I mean, we are working with people who just don't know. I'm sorry. I, I'm, okay. Then our drive drives up. We get up every day and you look at a new year and you say, what's the use? What's the big deal? What do you get excited about? I, get up, I, I don't know how you are with your work. We we're talking to the coffee uh, uh, area a while ago. And I, every Sunday morning is like Christmas for me. And I have to tell you, that's pretty much been that way for a pretty long time, but especially in the last two years. Every, I love what I do. I'm motivated. I want to work hard and pray hard and be prepared. I feel like that every Sunday morning that you deserve, you deserve a pastor at the top of his game like you deserve your heart surgeon to be at the top of his or her game in the morning should you have surgery.
0: How, how can he as a pastor say he's at the top of his game when he's not even preaching God's word? Just a logical question. Sorry, <clears throat> I interrupted.
2: I am motivated because I know that I live in a world of hurt and pain and sorrow and suffering. And I know that the hope of Jesus Christ is the only endurable hope this world has ever had. And I know that God can heal and love and he can he can restore and reconcile the brokenness of our country. He can raise us up again. And it's going to take God and God called me to talk for him. Isn't that a weird thing to even say out loud? Well, then do it.
0: (laughs) Preach his word. Open up the Bible and start reading. Preach the word. If God called you to talk for Him, then start preaching His words. Start speaking His words instead of your own. I have not found the word hunker or hunker down anywhere in Scripture. Haven't seen anything. I, I did a word search on attitude, sour attitudes. Didn't find nothing, and and nothing in the Scripture about our muscles, our work muscles shrinking and be, shrinking up.
2: <sighs> well, let's continue. He called me, talked for him 36 years ago, and I love it, and I'm, I'm driven, and I hope you're driven. And people say, well, you're driven. Well, what? Sue me. What, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with being driven? What's wrong, what's wrong with being driven is being driven just to get a car or a house or some tangible thing. But if you're driven to love people, help people, to create a business or provide a service that can change the lives of people, I say, more power to you. So our attitude sours, our work muscles drive. We lose. Our- yeah, in the in the in the past, an amen was usually a,
0: reserved for something that you're proclaiming about God or you know some great biblical theological point. Right? People are saying amen to if you want to have a business and be created. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yes
2: motivation because we don't want to be driven and then last we leave, lose one of our most god-given capacities and that is the capacity to change is compromised oh no
0: no if we hunker down our capacity to change is compromised oh what a terrible plot from the devil Oh, I can't believe, I hope Jesus did something about being able to solve our problems when we're not, our capacity to change is compromised. What is he talking about? I mean, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But what, what does it mean? Um, I, well, pastor, um, the reason I called the meeting today, let's begin in prayer. Lord, I just, uh, Lord, just, uh, I I just come to you, Lord, to just talk to you about the problem that I'm having regarding the fact that my capacity to change has been compromised, Lord, Um, and we just ask that you would, Lord, just please make it so that my capacity to change is no longer compromised. Pastor, I've come to talk to you today about the fact that my capacity to change (laughs) has been compromised. (laughs) What am I going to (laughs) do? How can I solve this problem, Pastor? Pastor? This is ridiculous. (laughs) Seriously.
2: Okay. Uh. Change is a good thing, ladies and gentlemen. It hurts sometimes. It all well. Change always hurts. I mean, is there any change that doesn't hurt? You know, I mean, most change does hurt. There's a difference between change and transition. We're not going through change in our culture. We're going through transition. All things are going away, and they should go away. They serve the purpose, yea, God. But they're not serving the purpose anymore. And it's the kind of kind of world we live in. God created. When you serve a purpose, you thrive. When you don't, you die. Is, is that in the Bible? Yeah. Is that is, is, is serious? I mean, think about how much you've changed just to get here this morning. I mean, well, let's see.
0: Okay, to get here today, I had to change my underwear. That's an important change, by the way. It requires you to shower first. I find that it's not nearly as effective if you don't bathe. Changing undergarments, you know, it's – in fact, it has a bigger impact if you actually engage in some kind of water bathing. Um, changed my clothes. I'm not wearing the same exact clothes that I wore yesterday. Ch- no, I didn't change my hat. I wore the same – I'm wearing uh. – ah! <laughs> this, is, this is a sermon. Okay.
2: I mean, when you're born, let's be honest, people look at the babies and say, oh, aren't they cute? No, they're not. They're ugly. They have no hair. They have no teeth. They have that kind of empty, spaced out look. Well, that's not true. There's not. A, I mean, there, 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 there are some ugly babies. Not many. By the way, if you ever see an ugly baby and you don't want to lie, you just say, I've never seen a child like that before. And you would be telling the <laughs> truth. I'm I mean, think about it. when you were born. You had no hair. You had no teeth. You couldn't speak. You didn't even know your own name. You pooped all over yourself, and you had to be carried everywhere you went. Now look at you. <laughs> hunker down? No, 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 no. We don't want to hunker down. There's no hunker. This is not a day for hunkering down. This is a day for standing up. Because we live in a world that God has not abandoned. And that's a key point you need to remember. Every time you hear the bad news people talking on CNN and, and Fox News and CNBC and, and a thousand other places and the blogs and all those, remember, almost every one of them factor reality without God. And the interesting thing is, God is reality. He is the reality that sustains us this morning. It is by his mercy, grace, and his overwhelming generosity that we are sitting here in this building this morning and that we are not destroyed. Okay,
0: good, good, good. There's a little hint there, a little gospel hint. It's, just, it's a tiny little gospel crumb he just threw for us. It's by his grace and mercy that we're not destroyed. Do you think he will talk about sin and why it is we deserve to be destroyed by God? <sighs> Let's see what he
2: does. He's given us a record of his faithfulness and his desire to be known and interact with us. It's called the Bible. I don't worship the Bible. There's a big uh, Christian organization in this town that has written all over their vehicles and stuff, bringing biblical solutions to life. And I honor that. But I don't want biblical solutions. I want the solution. I don't worship the Bible. I don't worship biblical truth. I worship God. And there's there is a difference. There isn't. I mean, it's subtle, but there's a very big difference because I've worshipped the Bible. I've been around people who know a lot about the Bible. You know what they are? Just meaner sinners. That's about all they are.
0: That must be me. I'm just a meaner sinner. <laughs> I think he's talking about me. I'm just a meaner sinner. Um, <sighs> sounds like he doesn't want you to know the Bible. Well, well see, it, it's not important for you to know the Bible. It's important for you to know the solution. The solution is God. So. So apparently you can just skip the whole Bible. You know, folks, uh where do you find out about God? In the Bible. God has revealed himself in his word, right? Lord, sanctify them in your truth. Thy word is truth, Jesus said, right? Um I'm not going I'm not going to find out nothing about God apart from the Bible. I, I might be able to find out a little bit about from him from the creation. I mean, look out there. You ever sit out on, on – you know, John, we live in a beautiful coastal area. Yes, we do. And uh, there are some amazing sunsets at times. You, you ever – like out on Dana Point, you ever just been on the bluff right there right when the sun was going down? You can see the tall ships out, on the, out in the harbor. Man, you, 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 you experience something like that and you think, wow, God is amazing. The problem is, is it doesn't really tell us too much about God. We know that He's creative; that He's created this beautiful planet. He's powerful, but then you got these things like earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, um, tsunamis—you um, know, really dumb accidents that kill people. Gravity, you know, being one of them. Um, anyone out there breaking the law of gravity? No one gets a speeding ticket if they break the law of gravity. They end up dead. Um, so um, we, we the, the The creation tells us a little bit about God, but it doesn't give us a complete picture, and we might actually come to the conclusion that God is capricious and angry and and wants to destroy us because our sin has brought some really terrible things into the world. Anyway, let's see what Richard Foster does here. Okay.
2: They use the information just to beat the holy you-know-what out of people they don't agree with. Can I hear an amen? So you know what? I'm not sure I want a biblical solution. I want a God solution, though I do understand it. That
0: is a false dichotomy. I'm sorry. Folks, if you really want to understand God, read his word. OK, Christ considered the Bible to be the very word of God, and he put a stamp of approval on the writings of the apostles. You want to know what God is like? Read the stories of Jesus. OK.
2: way be critical because I, they, that's my tribe. So I'm not, so I'm just, but I'm telling you this morning that what we're looking for is, when we in, in the Bible, we're not looking for the stories, we're looking for the God who is there and who is here. As much here as he was there. So let me introduce this to, with a story out of the Old Testament you probably haven't heard in a long time or maybe have never heard in your entire life. It's out of the book of Second Kings. And the book of Second Kings is basically the chronicle of a prophet named Elijah. There are two prophets that, whose names I always get mixed up, and I've been in seminary Elijah and Elisha. Elijah can, comes before Elisha. Elijah uh, took himself a protege a uh, to mentor named Elisha.
0: Okay, and, just so you, you know, we're 12 minutes into this sermon, and this is about the time when he's really got the Bible coming out, but he's qualified it in such a way that. It makes you wonder what the purpose of the Bible is at this point because it's supposed to help you experience the... the, Never mind.
2: Elijah uh, performed, God performed through Elijah eight miracles. And when Elijah is dying, his uh, he tells Elisha, you know, what would you, you know, what do you want me to pray that God would do for you It's my last request. He says, I want a double portion of God's favor. And so historically, Elisha does 16 miracles where Elijah did eight. Now, we're in Elisha territory. We're talking about this, the history of Elisha. The Israel has now divided itself between the northern part and the southern part it's now split Uh, and uh,
0: what was what the cause the split idolatry (laughs) they uh, the northern kingdom was founded on idolatry
2: it's called israel the bottom is called judah and the top the the the, uh the uh capital city is samaria and the bottom the capital city is jerusalem okay now as we get into this story in second uh king in the second king six The Syrians have laid siege on Samaria, not Judah in the south, not Jerusalem, but in the north, on Samaria. And the way they lay siege is they, the only reason they lay siege is that they don't, you know, they don't care to have their name on anything. They want the food, they want the gold, and they want slaves, okay, and they want the resources. So they don't go in like we would do today, and that would just blow everything up street by street by street. You know what they did? Simple. They just circled the city and cut off the food supply. Tried to cut off the water supply, but food was easier, and they would just let the people starve. It says, so so Samaria is under siege, and and it's so bad, the Scriptures tell us, that a little lump of dove doo-doo, is that better than dung? I don't know. I say words I get in trouble for that are okay to me, but somehow aren't okay to everybody else. So, so if you like doo-doo better than dung, then you just fill in the blank. Just a little lump of Dove's blank sells for this for a big bunch of gold. You know, it's like you know, 10000 It doesn't matter. $10,000 for a little lump of Dove's doo-doo stuff. The point being is we're in desperate times. Are you with me? Now, I don't know about you. I ain't eating no doves, nothing. I'm not eating a dove properly cooked. If I can help it. Now you may sneak and make me do it, but you'll go to hell if you do. So I'm not worried about that. About that part because I'm 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 not just a Christian. I'm.
0: I, I did not know that that story in the, in that regarding Elisha in the was about him. I well I the last time I checked, Franklin, Tennessee was not being surrounded and under siege by the Assyrians. And uh the last time I checked the la- people in Franklin, Tennessee are not being required to eat doves, doo doo. Okay, is I mean, is he really teaching us what this passage says at this point?
2: Thank you. I'm ordained. Back off. <laughs> So I was like, you have this desperate situation where everyone's dying and they're crying. Where is God? And all of a sudden Elisha shows up and this is what Elisha said. Elisha says, "Listen, this is God speaking, it isn't me? The famine is, it's over." And they're looking out and they're all emaciated. There is no food. The army camp is still there. The army is still in the camp. And he and they're like, "You are an idiot." Don't give us religious mumbo-jumbo. We need something that's real. And Elijah was being the leader because he was defining the reality. The famine is (laughs) indeed... If he... I'm going to... I might get upset
0: here if he takes this passage and basically says that the recession or depression is over, whatever the economic circumstances are. If he does this, I'm going to flip my chicken. (sighs) Because <sighs> already he's allegorizing the passage, you can just see it. He's not really telling us what the the passage really says and means. Because somehow this is some kind of a touch point to your life. Were you in in the city when it was being surrounded? I wasn't. No, I know I'm old. Okay, but I'm not that old. So. <clears throat>
2: This time tomorrow, food will be plentiful. A handful of meal for a shekel. In other words, a handful of meal for a penny, and two handfuls of grain for a shekel. Two handful, of, I mean a big mac. I mean a Big Mac, fries, and four apple pies, and a large drink, two cents. Now, for some of you, that's all it's worth. But for some of us, that's gold. Can I hear an amen? <sighs> The market at the city gate will be buzzing. In other words, we're going to commerce is going on. We're going to be selling and trading, and we're back in business. And the attendant on whom the king leaned for support said to the holy man, "You expect us to believe that?" Now, see, there's the ba- I, I, there's always some weenie who has some kind of negative thing to say. Amen. I. Trap doors opening in the sky. Food tumbling out. Is that what we're looking at? Who says God doesn't have a sense of humor? You'll watch it with your own eyes, Elijah says, but you'll not eat one mouthful. Oh, yes. Oh, but give me that power, Lord. I'll use it wisely. How many of you know some people who need to get got? Just say, God, let me... No, no. So here's this story. It's a dilemma. It's not unlike our day. It's a dilemma. You know, it's bad times. You know, they surround the city. It's a famine in the land. The economy isn't working. All of a sudden, Elijah shows up and says, "Hey, guess what? The floodgates are opening. You're back in business. You know, start up the factories and this do this again. Here we go. We're ready to go. And they they are now stuck with." One reality and another reality. And here's the spiritual truth in this this whole point. Is it is not you'll believe it when you see it, it's when you see it, you'll believe it, and when you believe it, you'll have it. Really?
0: Is any of that makes any sense to you? I, I mean, is that really? That's the whole point of that passage of scripture.
2: Works. If you see it, and you can believe it, and if you believe it and act on it, you can have it. And that's happened in my life over and 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 over, and over again. So he, he's a prophet.
0: Because his life is the is proof that, you know, we should, never mind.
2: Now, I, Gary, and I say this to you all the time because I don't want you to feel depressed. I'm special. I'm ordained, been a seminary. And God doesn't, you know, do stuff for you, normal people, like he does for me. But maybe you could, you know, if you held out and really prayed real hard. You know how to pray hard? Like that. Then God might. I, I hope he's joking. It's not funny, but ugh. Give you Something. No, 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 no. This isn't for special people. This is for ordinary people. So here, now, into this, into this kind of context, it gets even better. It happened, I like that, it happened that four lepers were sitting just outside the city. Well, why were they sitting outside the city? They were contagious, right? And they're, okay, Then get, get this picture. They're sitting outside a city that is being sieged. They're not in the city, they're outside the city. Which means they're out where this invading army can get to them, right? I mean, your life really has to suck bad when the enemy thinks you're not worth a bullet. They're all like, you know what, why kill them? They're dying. I mean, who, I mean, let's don't waste the energy. I mean, you are in a plight. They said, <laughs> they said to one another. You ever start talking to other people who are as bad, bad off as you are? Why are we doing? What are we doing? Sitting here at death's door. If we enter the famine-struck city, we'll die. If we stay here, we'll die. So let's take our chances. I like that. We'll take our chances in the camp of Aram, which is the general, and throw outside uh, and throw ourselves on his mercy. If they receive us, we'll live. If they don't, we'll die. What do we got to lose? I love that. How? What do you got to lose? Nothing. 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 I mean, think of that. David said, End of this, I came into this world naked. I'm going to leave naked. That's not true. I mean, I mean, it was true I'm going to leave naked. I hope I don't love, put a suit on me, please, something. That would be gross, particularly if I'm old. By the way, old people need to wear clothes. Can I hear an amen? Now, who's old? Anybody over 32? You don't look good in that bathing suit, dude. Chuck the Speedo. Take it back. Okay. And that's part of the sermon. Okay. Just information you don't get anywhere else, right? <laughs> I mean, think about it. There's nothing in this world that's really worth anything that I have that I can lose. Because you know what? The only thing in this world that's worth anything is my life, my relationship with God, and the relationship with the people that I love. And the people who love me, love me, they just love me. They don't love me because of what I do or what I have or what I've achieved. They just love me as me. Amen. And you get to take that stuff to heaven with you. You get to take all of that into eternity with that you. that was, by the way, six me's within just 15 seconds. <clears throat> and so I love these guys. That, so here's the first thing you do. Rather than hunker down, let's just stop whining. Amen. No more whining. Let's cancel our subscription to the whiner's gazette. Can I hear an amen? No more. No more. No more.
0: So this is the amazing Christian spiritual message from this passage that, uh, number one, see, the problem is that we're hunkering down. That's the problem, even though there's no passage of Scripture that even says the word hunker. And uh, the four things that go wrong there are our attitude sour, our work muscles shrink and become lazy, our drive dries up, and worst of all, our capacity to change is compromised. Every time I read that sentence, I have no clue what that means. And so solution number one for when you have a capacity to change that's compromised is to stop whining.
2: Wow. Do we need a savior for that one?
0: No, no. Okay.
2: Whining about President Bush and President Obama and the government. No more whining about the economy. No more whining. Let's just shut up. You can't say nothing good. Don't say nothing. And many of you will go into eternity mute. <laughs> have you ever been to a funeral and somebody said, well, you know what? There's something wrong about Bob. He never said nothing bad about nobody. That's a life in the pit of hell. I mean, we all have our moments. Every one of us do, but I'm just talking about it as a habit. Every day, just whining and moaning and complaining, and everything is bad. No, it's not bad. Any day above dirt is a good day. Say it with me: Any day above dirt is a good day. So, rather
0: than having them read along with a passage of scripture, right, or, or maybe even praying the uh, the Lord's Prayer or saying the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. We're going to follow along and say any day above dirt is a good day. Wow, that's profound. That's, as they say in in the movie Hook, that's so deep it's unfathomable. I kind of messed that up.
2: Woo! There's always hope. Always hope. Woo! Stop whining. You say, well, you don't have leprosy. You're not outside the gate. He says, you know what? You're going to die one way or the other. Ten out of ten Tennesseans die. That just came out of the new $4 million government study. We got nothing to lose, you know. I mean, what are we afraid of? I mean, what are you afraid of? I mean, seriously, if God is your God and Jesus Christ is your Savior, what in God's name have you got to worry about? What are you afraid of? You're afraid because people tell you ought to be afraid. You're worried because people tell you ought to be worried. You're in a recession because people tell you ought to in recession. You don't buy anything. though. You have the money and have the right to buy it. You should buy it because you, you want to save that money for later. You know what? You ain't got enough money for later, dude.
0: So the solution is spend it now. Jesus wants you to stop being worried about your money and start spending it, Right. Stop whining and start spending your money. Stop participating in the recession and just opt out. <sighs> Where's Christ in all of this? He's made some there was this tiny little gospel crumb, just this wee little crumb that was thrown at us and and now it's uh, number one, stop whining. I got this I used to get this message from my mother. I maybe I still do. <laughs>
2: Trust me. All the things you have saved up for a rainy day, a storm could come and wash it all away. Stop whining. Here's the next thing they did. I mean, these are cool guys. I mean, if they were still alive, we'd have them here.
0: You would have the lepers come to your church because of what a great example they set.
2: They're cool guys. Yeah,
0: you know, what's the funny part about all all of this is yeah, this really kind of cheesing me off at this moment is that he's leaving the most important character out of the study, and that character, or the story, that, that character would be God, okay? Because God is the one who got rid of all of these guys, okay? Not the lepers. He's he's going to have the lepers come to his church because they set such a great example of people who weren't who stopped whining, and apparently overcome overcame their incapacity to change. Well, sorry. Capacity to change is compromised. It overcame their compromised
2: capacity to change. What is that? <sighs> back of your outline, the scripture says, so after the sun went down, they got up and went to the camp. I, that's, that's my whole point of reading that whole paragraph. They got up and they went to the camp. Here's the second point. First point is stop whining. The second point is get up, stand up, suit up, and be a man. Be a man. Man up. Woman up.
0: So these lepers manned up.
2: Hey ay I like that. Woman up. Like seven up. Woman up. Man up, woman up, do something, get out there. This is a dangerous world, but you are a person who's creating the image of God for this moment, for this time, fully equipped, have his favor, have his love, have his grace, all of his promises. And if you don't have them, why don't you have them? It's all because you refuse to bow your knee and confess your sin and say, I am a sinner, broken and hopeless without a savior. And let me tell you, that ain't that hard to do. All right, all right. Whoa, stop, stop. the. T- <laughs> there was a little gospel thrown
0: in there. He, he said the word sin. Okay, so man up is in some sense means get on your knees, confess your sin and your need for a savior. Boy, that was a long road to hoe and too bad it's kind of like an afterthought. Shouldn't this be really the center of the scent of the sermon here? Okay, let's continue.
2: I've done it. And it's awesome. It transformed my life. So you know what? We're gonna stop whining. We're gonna man up. We're gonna woman up. These guys got up and they went to the camp of Aram. Then they got then they
0: got to the Gosh, it's too it's really too bad. It really is too bad that the you know we've gotten two gospel crumbs and they just zipped by, man. Boom, woo! You know? And
1: I like the fact that he said I've done it. It feels good.
0: It feels good and it uh and it changed my life. No, Christ changed your life, not this prayer. <sighs> sounds like you've done it once. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> man, I gotta confess my sins every single day and confess my need of a savior and thank God that God Himself became a man and died in my place on the cross. <sighs> Too bad it's a, it was an afterthought. You know, glad to hear it, but <clears throat> what was that speeding car? Well, that was kind of the gospel. Man, that kind of got out, came in and flew out of here really quick, didn't it? Could we dwell on that for just a second, Pastor, please?
2: The edge of the camp, surprise. Okay, where was the surprise? In the dung heap they were sitting in, with their dead skin falling off, or over there, right at the front doorstep of the enemy camp. Where was the surprise? It was over there, wasn't it? It wasn't here, it was over there. So, what did they, and this is, be careful now, this is complicated stuff, only deep theologians can understand. What did they do to get from here to here?
0: They got up. Uh, they got up and they uh, uh, walked. This is the deep theological point. They got up and walked. Oh, man.
2: Up. There you go. Write that down. You got up. They got up. You know what depression does? Depression's, depression gets us down. I can come to some of your houses and find the chair you sit in because it is now contoured to your butt. And you lay back in that thing, watching the news and watching the bed. There's the Bible over there with dust over because this one archaic, difficult to understand book that doesn't relate to my life. And so we, just, we, we, we consume this bilge water. And we wonder why our hearts and our minds are polluted and our eyes cannot see the big things and the good things and the great things that God wants us to have and to be. I believe God wants us to have great things and to be great people. I believe He wants us to have great marriages and great kids and great jobs. I want—I th- believe He wants us to prosper. I believe He wants us to understand that life is good, but it is brief. And whatever living you want to do, you better do it now. Under current...
0: That sounds like the prosperity gospel light, doesn't it? I mean, rather than God wants me to have a Mercedes Benz, God wants me to have great this and great that. But, I mean, it's a light version of the prosperity gospel. What what if God wants you to be a martyr? What if God actually called you to – you know what? There's actually a company. I've seen this truck driving around here in Southern California. And you know what they do? They offer a service where they come into your backyard and pick up dog crap, dog poop. Okay, Th- that's what this company does. So what if your job is the guy who drives that truck and you go into people's backyards and pick up dog poop? Is that a great career? The funny thing is, is if you understand the gospel that we serve our neighbor, that absolutely picking up dog poop as a job, is a service that you're offering to your neighbor, and it's, it's one that you can do in love for your neighbor. And God considers it a good work, and you can actually pick up dog poop to the glory of God. But I wonder if that's what he means.
2: Conditions that are definitely not optimal. You heard that one, haven't you? These are not optimal times. When, you know what? They never will be optimal. You know what they are? As is. They were going to a used car lot and bought a car that says, as is. Well, duh. But there's some people who don't know that. They think that the car ought to be perfect and the marriage ought to be perfect and the job ought to be perfect and every day ought to be perfect and, the, and that our president ought to be perfect and that our senators ought to be perfect and that our pastors ought to be perfect, and that all of our leaders ought to be perfect. And none of us are perfect, amen? We're all strugglers. We're all trying to put out the fire. We didn't light it, but we're trying to fight it, right? And so they go in. I love this. It says, they, 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 uh, it says uh, The Master God had made the army of Aram hear the sound of horses and a mighty army on the march. They told one another. The king of Israel, this is, the, this is the, uh, the Syrians talking to each other. Okay, these are the people who are trying to take over Samaria. The king of Israel has hired Hittites. Have you ever, for lack of information, filled in the blanks? Anyone? Yeah. Ever, ever built up something really big and nasty and it was nothing? Would you just, you know, for lack of information and connection and actually talking face to face? That'd be radical. Uh, you, just, you just filled in the blanks the worst? He says they've hired the Hittites. They have mercenaries now. The king of Egypt, oh my gosh, and they've got laser swords, you know, and they've got these big sticks and, and they got, they got Humvees, oh gosh. Panicked, they ran for their lives in the darkness, abandoning the tents, the horses, the donkeys, the prime rib, and the pumpkin pie. <laughs> running for a dear life. Running for, I like it. Running for a dear life. Out of what? Fear. From what? Nothing. Sounds like America, doesn't it? Sounds like us, doesn't it? Running from nothing for fear. Oh. Says the, uh, and it says the, then the four leopards entered the camp, went into a tent. Now what did they do? They did the right thing. They ate. Amen. I love eating. Anybody here love eating? I love eating. If you don't love eating? I feel sorry for you. I love eating. I'm gonna die from something. Might as die from eating. They ate and they drank, and that, now that drank in the Hebrew means Kool Aid. What? <laughs> then they grab silver, gold, and uh, they ate. And then they say, okay, now what else? Silver, gold, clothing. What, what are They, they go off and hit it. Well, why not? Because they think these guys may be coming back. They don't know. And then here's, here's, here's the third thing. I'm going to stop whining. I'm going to be a man, and I'm going to live beyond me. That's the key. This is not about me. Finally, they went. Said, well, this
0: sermon has been about him a lot, hasn't it? Yes.
4: I mean, I,
0: I've lost track of how many times he said me, 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 me. I, 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 I. He's
2: mentioned himself far more times than he's mentioned Jesus. Another. We shouldn't be doing this. This is a day of good news, and we're making it a private party. Oh, my gosh. Is that not a cool statement? This is the day of good news we're making it a private party. If we wait around until morning, we'll get caught. I mean, these people are going to come back. Come on, let's go and tell the good news. I'm tell, Is that not just the coolest thing? Okay, I'm going to stop for a second here. One of the things I am a strong
0: advocate of is preaching Christ from every passage of Scripture. Um, you can actually find the gospel here in this little passage. And uh, let's, let's help Pastor Foster out here because um, they wanted to go and declare good news, right? Well, he, here's the deal, all right. You are born a sinner. You are born at war with God, and you, okay, are a child of the devil. In a very real way, Satan has laid siege to your life, and his goal is to conquer you and take you in chains into hell. In much the same way that these guys who are laying siege to the city wanted slaves and food and to take everything and take these people off to their place you know into slavery right that's what satan wants to do for you well here's the great news christ on the cross conquers these guys who are laying siege to your life the sin death and the devil and yeah it's great this is good news that needs to be proclaimed you think the devil is there to destroy you christ has already conquered him he's gone That's the great news. So you can actually preach the real gospel from this passage. It's not hard to do. Okay? This passage points us to because who is the one who caused these Arameans to flee like idiots? God is the one, right? So who's the one who conquered this army that was laying siege to the city? It was God. And what does Christ do? He conquers he conquers Satan, sin, death, and the devil, and he does it on his cross. You see, it's not hard to do. It can be done. Let's see if Foster ever gets around to that.
2: I mean, here are guys dying and they knew their moral compass led them to realize that even though they had every reason to feel sorry for themselves, after they ate and they, you know, they refunded their 401k, amen, they decided this better be about everybody, not just about us. Amen. Amen. This is about good news. This is about new hope. This is about a good God and a good life and a good earth moving toward a good place. And you and I get to be a part of it. But we won't be a part of it if we whine and complain and are lazy and adopt the habits of bad news people. So what, so what are you going to do? You're going you're to stop whining. You're going to get up and be a man or a woman. And you're going to realize that it ain't about me. Amen? It ain't about me. It ain't about me. If you don't understand that your work is about meeting the needs of other people, then then you've got a great discovery when you realize that if you meet the need, if you become obsessively compulsively preoccupied with meeting the needs of other people, your needs will be met.
3: Uh,
0: uh, okay. We're, we're, this is all law again. And Christ is um, amazingly missing. You know, he's got some truth in there. But the problem is, is the focus and the emphasis or emphasis is on the wrong syllable. (sighs)
2: That's how you make money. We're going to talk about this next week. The, The second thing we're talking about next week is the one I like, cut back. Ever heard that one? We need to cut back. Which means we need to take a relational razor blade and slice the wrist of every person who got us here.
0: What? Cutting back means uh, maybe your bud- you're, you're not taking in as much money as you were last year, so you rearrange your budget and you cut back on some things. What does that have to do with the Bible and the gospel anyway?
2: Ugh. Just slice them. No, 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 no. We don't need to cut back. We need to look forward and launch ahead. We don't need fewer people in our lives, but more. But I'm sorry, this is rabbit trail. Back, back. Okay, here. All right. Now, now, let me close with this. Here are the three things you can do while you're waiting. I mean, you can do right now today. One, you can commit. I will be a wrecking ball of joy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to commit to being a wrecking ball of joy you have got to be kidding me did did a grown man just seriously say that oh yeah oh my goodness (laughs) just the sentence is silly I'm going to commit to being a wrecking ball of joy (sighs) Ah. I'm going to repent of my sins and trust Christ. <sighs>
2: it doesn't cost anything to be a wrecking ball of joy. You don't even have to buy a chain to be a wrecking ball of joy. What does the Bible say? The joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord. I can be a wrecking ball of joy. I can show up every day with a positive attitude, being, being glad to be alive and in the game and in the hunt. I'm going to be a wrecking ball of joy. The second thing is I'm going to be at peace, period. My peace is not up for debate by Wall Street. My blood pressure does not go up and down on the basis of the fortunes of my favorite football team. Okay,
0: be at peace. This is another great gospel theme. What? Oh, Romans chapter 8. Hang on a second here. i got to switch to verse mode on my... <sighs> hang on a second Um, I might be I need to go to five hang on Romans chapter five sorry Okay, listen to this. I mean, there's a context for peace. He says he's going to be at peace. And what does he, let, he put the context in? I'm just going to be joyful because Christ tells me to be joyful. But what is, what is our joy in? It's in Christ. It's because of the fact that he died for our sins, that he is God in human flesh, that he has come to rescue us. This is great news. Okay? And you want to talk about peace? Listen to this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access uh, by faith into this grace in which we stand, in which we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's not in hope of glo- our glory, our- it's a hope of the glory of God. No, yeah. You see what I'm saying? There's a, real, there's a biblical context for peace. And he just says, uh, I'm going to be at peace. peace re- uh,
2: <laughs> I am at peace. Let's read this together. I hope it's biblical.
0: I hope I are going
2: to read might a Bible ask verse. Me, what does that together mean? That means all at one time. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, gosh. It's so, it's so great to be living at peace. Yeah, well, the context of
0: that is the gospel, and he just kind of glossed right over that and went right to that.
2: Oh, man. You know, well, i Because I have peace with God, I have the peace of, of God, and I have the peace under God. I'm living under his authority. Matter of fact, that's why I'm a renegade for God. That's what a renegade is. A renegade, live free, have fun, change the world. That's what Jesus was. Jesus was a renegade. Jesus wasn't some blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white guy that got stuck in the Middle East. He was a wrecking ball of joy. He was a wrecking ball of redemption. And he came and he smashed the world. And when we look back at what he did, we decided to date real life from when he was born. Oh, yeah, we did.
0: It's like he missed the point of what Jesus came to do.
2: I will be a wrecking ball of joy. I will live at peace. And last, I will aim at excellence in everything I do.
0: Okay, so let's see. Let me make sure I got this. Uh, So uh, the problem is is that uh, you are hunkering down, your attitude has soured, your work muscles have shrunk to become lazy, your drive has dried up, and your capacity to change has been compromised. Wow, what a terrible condition that might be. Wow, if only it made any sense biblically. And the solution is stuff that you have to do. You have to become a wrecking ball of joy. You have to, you have to will to be at peace. You, you're going to will it, and you're going to aim at excellence. That's the solution. Those are the three steps that you need to do in your life in order to solve this terrible hunker-down problem that has been presented that could potentially ruin your joy and make it so that you don't have greatness and the, the great things that God has supposedly for you in your life. Is that the gospel? Uh, I don't think so. And not only that, notice the solution is law, law, uh, law, and law. So, I mean, apparently, if you don't d- decide to be a wrecking ball of joy and, um, and decide to be at peace and aim for excellence, you could continue languishing in the hunker-down mentality and lose your capacity to change. It can be, it, your, your capacity to change could be completely compromised. I mean, just can you imagine going through life like that? What a terrible condition! <laughs> and I say that with my tongue in my cheek. I think I've heard enough of this gentleman. Thank you for staying with us, folks. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard today on today's program regarding idolatry, homosexuality, the Trinity, and um, losing your capacity, to, having your capacity to change being compromised. Yeah, that, that's the terrible thing, isn't it right? Yeah, then um, email me talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fighting for the faith. So next tech. until next time. God bless.